Last week, Twitter was filled with disturbing stories of racist, angry, personal confrontations. When it comes to today's episode, we recorded the whole thing before Trump's win, but in light of an uncertain future, we think it's worth having a look back at our recent past. I mean, it's just absolutely and utterly tragic what happened that night. It was September of 2007, late at night. In Sutton, an hour north of Toronto, two groups of young people confronted each other in the dark. It became violent. Lives were ruined. How that night ended is documented in court. What we wanted to try and understand is how it all began. Welcome to Color Code, a podcast about race in Canada by The Globe and Mail. I'm Hannah Sung. And I'm Denise Balkasun. Today's episode is called Surface Tension, and we want to warn you, you'll be hearing racist language. For starters, today's episode is a look back at something that was called nipper tipping, which was shocking for me to hear and see in headlines at the time. It was widely reported in the news that way. So what was nipper tipping and how did it lead to a disastrous incident that night in Sutton? We'll get to that night in just a bit. First, we have to start at the beginning. What was nipper tipping? York Regional Police are investigating four cases of so-called nip-tipping in the town of Georgina on Lake Simcoe. Young people attack Asian fishermen, pushing them in the water. So yeah, tipping, if that's what you want to call it, um, that obviously, or at least as I hear it, it comes from that rural term cow tipping, which I think to, to urban people sounds like it might be just a, like one of those myths, but... Tipping or shoving or assaulting, whatever word you want to say, it's about targeting Asian people who are fishing and shoving them in the water. Sometimes their fishing gear would be taken or ruined or tossed in the water. Nip is a racially derogatory term for Asian people. I don't know if you've ever heard it before. I've heard it before directed at me. So I I know firsthand what it feels like to be called that. And nipper tipping as a phenomenon, and I'm sorry to say that word, I hate it, but (laughs) to talk about this whole series of incidents, I guess we have to say the word, but this seemed to be happening in rural places like Sutton and Keswick. Uh, There were incidents near Peterborough. So these are areas just outside of bigger cities. And Sutton, which is where we visited for this episode, is part of a township called Georgina Township. So sometimes we'll say Sutton, sometimes we'll say Georgina, but we're talking about the same south shore of Lake Simcoe, which is about an hour north of Toronto. Mm -hmm. My in-laws have a cottage that every summer my family drives through Georgina to get to. And so it's always been in my mind as a place where bad things happened. Mm -hmm. It's not that I would think it's more racist than other places as much as it's a place where these things like cause incidents or flare up. And so for myself, I just wanted to try and understand. Yeah, me too. I mean, even after reading all those news stories back in 2007, I still had the question like, what the heck was nipper tipping? I still don't understand. And what was it about Sutton, Ontario? Like, why did it happen there? So that's what 
we wanted to find out, and the only way to do so was to go there. Signs for Regional Road 9, High Street, Central. All right. First up, we went to the Tim Hortons parking lot, which is pretty much the modern-day town square. There we saw a few people chatting and hanging out. One man was sitting in his very, very, very big truck. His name is Travis. And how would you describe the area? Like, if I had never been here before, what would you say about it? About Sun? It's a small town. Everybody knows everybody, and they know who's here and who's not, and it's a nice, peaceful town. Travis was hanging out with his friend Jason, and so I asked him. Well, so I'm, we're going around talking about something that happened here, um, and it wasn't like a good thing. There was this thing called nipper tipping. Oh, yes. Yeah, do, you, yeah. do you remember that? Yeah, we heard about it, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So what did you hear about it at the time? Honestly, it was just the fact that uh, I guess people were coming up from the city and uh, local young guys were apparently having fun and... Uh, what they call nipper tipping, I guess. And uh, if I heard correctly, there were some people down at Mossington's and uh, got thrown in the water, basically, is what I've heard about it. So. What did you think at the time when you heard about it? Oh, it doesn't make me happy to think that uh, people from the local area would do that, but I don't know. Who am I? So, but uh, yeah, it didn't make me feel happy about it. So. Did you ever think about what the reputation of your town might be? be when the news was reporting on it? Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. You always worry about that. I mean, you come from the area, you don't want people to think bad of you. I mean, it's not something I would personally go out and do, but how do you control everyone in the area, right? So. Over at the Black River Cafe, we found Sam, who was on break from his job there. He was hanging out with his friend Stephen. So what did you guys hear happened? Uh... I don't remember the exact story because it was a while back now, but uh, yeah, no, I heard someone got got pushed, and I don't re- remember if it re- uh, resulted in a death or just serious injury. But I know the charges were made, and it was it was bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. How did you hear about it? Through town. Yeah. 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 People talk. Gossip, you said? Yeah, gossip. And I was not sure if anything was very like actual true or not, but mm-hmm. it's all gossip I hear. So, to an outsider, somebody who doesn't live around here, how would you explain that whole, that time and what was going on? How would you explain that to me? I wouldn't even know where to start on that one. Uh Yeah. I have no, it's just a stupid event that happened. Do you think it's true that it comes down to race? I mean, you said earlier that... from what I understood it was, yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I find that I, you said everybody knows each other and all that, but if you're remotely different than anyone else here, nobody knows you or talks no. to you. You do not get along with this town at all. It could be what you like. It could be what you're into at the time, how you're dressed. It could just be, be anything. Yeah. It doesn't matter as long as they could find something about you that's different. So if I did not want to be different, if I wanted to be the same, oh. what would I do and say and how would I act? What would I wear? <laughs> Plaid. <laughs> Jeans. Uh, drive a truck. Yeah. Get an F-150. <laughs> that will do it. Any, Park at Tim Hortons. Any kind of truck and just lift it. I think I know what you're talking about, but I'm not sure. I know <laughs> like a girl. Like big wheels? Yeah, I know a girl who crazy. ran over another person's car in the Tim Hortons parking lot. This happened. This was a thing. Why? Yeah. 
acted and she couldn't see the car. Oh. It was too low. <laughs> it was a normal car and hers oh was too big. Oh my god. Yeah. Welcome to Sutton. <laughs> we drove around to get a feel for Sutton. This is a place that is both its own community and a summer destination. So this definitely feels like cottage country, like an ice cream shop and a beautiful gift shop. The houses right along the water are picturesque and impressive. But if you go just a block in from the water, the houses are pretty modest. Prime real estate right across from the, the lake. We stood by the water in a few places to sense what visitors would see when they come to the water to fish. I think we've come at the wrong time of day to catch someone fishing. <laughs> yeah, I don't fish, so I didn't work know. Day. We started reading the sign there that was covered in graffiti that read, um, Derek and Kelly are in love forever. And then it says, kill all niggers. And then someone else has written some, and then someone else has written no, all. And then it's repeated right underneath, actually. Right under where it says, fisheries and oceans, the, the official signage, it says, fuck the N. Love, Todd. Look at this, again. It's not just one instance of that n-word it's like multiple multiple like i see four on this one sign i'm kind of shocked that people don't think this is something that needs to be immediately replaced this sign has been here since at least 1990 because i see somebody having written the date 1990. all right no no one down here this is André Gagnon. He lives in Sutton, and we met him while we were eating lunch next to the river. He wandered over while we were discussing the graffiti. I was just what, are they all, what are they writing on here? Oh, it's like pretty depressing, actually. What does it say? Kill all. Yeah. Uh-huh. See, these are local kids, probably. They even sign their names, too. Well, there's all kinds of different things happening. So yeah, yeah, that's yeah. because kill all racist pigs. Yeah, yeah. Like, what the hell is that? I don't know. But you can come down here on any given day, especially like on the weekend days. But like this morning, there was a Pakistani gentleman here. We were talking, because I was asking him, oh, you're using leeches. Like, how much did you pay for your leeches? He goes, I think he said six fifty for a dozen. And I thought, oh, shit, you can get them cheaper at the bait shop over here in town. And he goes, well, I'm from Scarborough, and we pay six fifty, I guess. Because they know that they're going to buy their leeches down there and come north to go fishing. Because mm -hmm. where are you going to fish in Scarborough? Mm -hmm. Not too many places. Mm -hmm. but. Andre mentioned Scarborough, which is a racially diverse suburban area in Toronto. If you think of building blocks going from south to north, there's Scarborough. And stacked on top of that is Markham, which is a very Chinese city. And just to the north of Markham is Sutton. In fact, Markham and Sutton are so close, they share the same school board, but they're very different demographically. According to census data from 2011, English is reported to be the mother tongue for over 90% of households in Georgina. Whereas in Markham, English is the mother tongue for only 38.5% of households. 57% of people there reported a language other than English or French, with over half of those people speaking Chinese languages. What kind of fish do you catch? Out of here? Well, 
my buddy, he pulled out probably about a three to four pound bass, a largemouth. Fishing is big in Sutton. There's a big recreational industry there and for good reason. Lake Simcoe is gorgeous. It's true Ontario beauty. To learn more about what people do for fun around here, we met up with Jerry Kuharchuk. He owns the Peninsula Resort, open year-round for ice fishing in the winter and beach recreation in the summer, and his business revolves around visitors. I mean, on a busy Sunday, we've got anywhere between 500 and 1,000 people in the park here. They fish off the dock, they swim, they barbecue, whatever. Majority of them uh, of different racial ethnicities. And... Um, there's locals that come in that I know or that I went to school with or whatever. And, you know, some of them, oh, um, reputation, oh, Packy Beach. Or um, a lot of the locals won't come to the, the beach, like the public beach, because they saw all these people from the city. Um, yeah, because it's crowded, but partially, too, because of the prejudice. And, uh, and they don't want to have to socialize with different ethnicities. But what does it feel like when your friends, people you like, come in and they say something like, oh, Packy Beach. I mean, do, do, well, do you, does that make you feel anything? Yeah. Yeah, yeah because I mean, like? well, I mean, it's derogatory and it's not Packy Beach. We have a lot of um, uh, people that, like Sri Lankans that come. We have a lot of uh, Guyanese. We have a lot of um, Chinese. Um, to come ice fishing or to use well, the No, to the, the beach in the summertime. And you get to talk to people because a lot of them come up and they're all affluent. They've got Lexus, they've got Mercedes, they've got um, a guy shut up in a Bentley. And I'm going, really? You bring a Bentley to the beach? Like, come on. Well, that's so, his car. How's yeah, he going to get well, here? Well, exactly. But I mean, you know, just the the mindset. You're like, Bentley to the beach? And people are like, oh, well, look at these guys. How can they afford these cars and all the rest of it? Because people either don't understand or they don't, uh, they don't know. Or biggest thing is they're jealous. So being a visitor from the city is not difficult at all, as we experienced when we drove there. It's pretty easy to zip up from Toronto to Sutton. You just take Highway 404, which was originally built in 1977, and as the Toronto area has grown, so has that highway, with extensions being built slowly so that it goes from East Toronto, which is near Scarborough, straight up through Markham, basically right to Lake Simcoe's front doorstep. And Sutton itself is experiencing growth too, especially in terms of recreation and visitors. The population increase is moving so fast. It's like, holy cow, you know? This is Taro Murata. I'm a full-time fishing guide in a business called Fish City Tours. Taro was born in Canada and is part Japanese. And they take people fishing 250 to 280 times a year. That's a lot of fishing. Snow, sunshine, sleet rain, ice, any condition. <laughs> <laughs> Only some of that sounded fun to me, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I love people, so... What do you like about fishing in that area of Lake Simcoe? Um, it's close. It's very close. And there's a lot of amenities for families, so it's the convenience of it all is very good, and mm -hmm. there's good fishing there. My concern there is the fishing pressure. It's getting, like, more and more people are fishing there. And just on um, law of averages, more fish will get capped, you know? Mm -hmm. The issue of nipper tipping in the news was always very closely tied to fishing. So trying to understand these racist incidents means getting a crash course in the culture of fishing. There I have uh, m and boats always um, asking me how many fish I cap. 
When people talk about MNR, they mean the Ministry of Natural Resources. They're the provincial body that enforces the Ontario fishery regulations, which are the rules around sport fishing. And there are lots of rules. They're definitely looking into the subject of increased fishing pressure on the lake. Mm-hmm. Um, but the Asians are getting, you know, a bad name because they're a visible minority. They're the most visible minority out fishing here in Ontario, probably. You'll see an Asian family fishing in a boat, and they'll have those sun hats. Like you know, the, the kind? Asian sun hats? Yeah, yes. like the rice field kind of hat. Yes. And you have a creel. What is that? They, a creel. It's kind of like a, like a basket. Okay. And everything they catch goes into that basket. So there's no selectivity in what they're keeping. Are they within their legal limit? Probably. So it's within their right to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, in an unwritten rule way, you know, like we just like, I would get a bad reputation if I was known for donking five and six pound bass. Like Really? So even though it's legal yeah, in the community, and, you, yeah. people think you shouldn't really do it? Not that many. Like yeah. you can keep, you know, be mindful about it. Be conservative. They're not oceans and our population is growing really fast but i see people of all races keeping their legal limit and it's like what about those guys over there they're doing the same thing i've seen locals fishing out of season keeping walleye through the ice so you know it's just because you know there's a lot of asians fishing and they're a visible minority i feel they're getting the blame so you can tell that Taro is very passionate about conservation. He's a passionate guy. He loves what he does. What I found really interesting was when he said that there are unwritten rules. And uh, you can be within your legal limit and still be kind of perceived to be keeping too many fish. Right. When I'm out on the water, I get questioned a lot. This is Brad Lee. He is active in the Chinese-Canadian community, and he loves to fish. You know, I mean, it's kind of friendly at first. How many did you catch? Well, have you got a fishing license? And I said, are you asking me because I'm Asian? You say that? Yeah, I just ask them because, I mean, it's an open conversation at this point. And then what do they say? Oh, no, no, they back off. They back off. No, I just want to make sure, you know, like everybody should be following the rules. I said, yeah, okay, well, are you? There are catch limits. There are possession limits. I mean, this is really well thought out wildlife management. I think that the law says that it's only a conservation officer or a police officer that has the right to ask you if you have a fishing license. I think that that's a very important part of the way um, our laws are enforced. Uh, And I don't think it gives anybody else a right. Who has the right to ask someone to produce a fishing license? Only conservation officers and police officers. But on a night back in 2007, a group of young locals confronted a group of racially mixed young people from Scarborough who were fishing in the dark by Mosington Bridge in Sutton. One group demanded the other group produce their fishing licenses. It got ugly. People were shoved in the water. A fight broke out. And then it became a car chase. Four young people in a Honda Civic being chased by a pickup truck driven by Trevor Middleton of Sutton. He was 20 years old. The four young people from Scarborough in that Honda Civic were Rohang Lu, who was driving, and the passengers were Shiv Kumar, Charles Hogan, and Shane Berwick, who was 23 at the time. The pickup began ramming the Civic so hard, the imprint of the Civic's license plate was found on the pickup's front bumper. My son and I were sitting 
in the cottage, and we heard this banging, and I said to him, what the hell is that? This is Sandy Raitt. She lives half the year in Sutton. The banging she heard that night was the truck ramming the car. And then we heard the smash. So we went down on my dock, and all I could hear was, you killed my effing friend. You killed him. The high-speed chase ended with a Civic losing control and slamming into a tree. So we jumped in the car and got over there. Charles Hogan, who was in the Civic, was thrown into the nearby water. Shane Berwick was on the ground when Sandy came to him. When I got to Shane, all I kept on saying to him was, just take another breath. Because it was so far and few between that he was breathing that I thought he was going to die right there. Trevor didn't stay at the scene of the accident. He was charged with two counts of criminal negligence causing bodily harm and four counts of aggravated assault. Shane didn't die, but he was never the same. As for Trevor Middleton, throughout the court proceedings, he never expressed remorse. So when we decided to go to Sutton, we wanted to find him to try and understand what he was doing that night. I mean, who knows? This is maybe where he lives. We're like there, basically. Here, I'm turn right here then. Yeah, we passed it. We had a possible address for Trevor, and that's all we had to go on. Yeah, that's where he lives. He has a giant pickup truck. Okay. We knocked on his door. No one answered. We knocked on the wrong door at first. We got his neighbor, so we know that that's where he lives. We may try again later today, right? Because we left him a note. Yes. So we'll give him a couple hours to read it. The note said we were reporters from the Globe and Mail hoping to speak with him. We didn't hear back. We went back to his house and left another note, this time with a woman who answered the door. We actually did that twice on two different occasions. All right. So here's the deal. His... Partner? Partner? Mother of his child? What did yeah. she say? We have a child together. That's what she said last Yeah. Time. She said she would pass on our written request for an interview, and the conversation was very short. We went over it again once we were back in the car. It was basically, would you like to speak with us? No. I don't think he's going to want to do that. That's what mm. she said. And the way that I feel is that I don't want to stalk him or her. I don't want to keep going to their door. But until he responds to me, I kind of have no choice. I just didn't know if he was actually receiving the interview requests, and we didn't have his phone number, so this was the way we were trying to get in touch. We didn't hear back from Trevor. We then mailed letters to his home and his work, and we went to his work, which is on a rural stretch of road. We were turned away by a guy who answered the phone number, taped to a security camera, at the end of a long driveway. Trevor obviously didn't want to be found. All right, well, another bust very nice person but I mean pretty typical of our experience which is that nobody wants to talk about it Mm -hmm. nobody wants to talk about it so Trevor's family didn't want to speak with us but Shane's family did Shane Berwick is the man who was the most severely injured in that car accident in 2007 this is Colin and Terry Berwick Terry quit her job as a daycare supervisor to be Shane's full-time caregiver. She's small and Shane is big. 
Still, she was able to help teach him to eat again, walk again, brush his teeth, but he can't do anything on his own. Can you tell us about Shane? Before or now? Um, I was asking about now, but I, I would love to know before as well. Well, before, you go to the gym, you play hockey, play baseball, play golf. He was a third-year union apprentice electrician, working hard. Uh, pardon? Living on his own. Living on, yeah, he living on his own and had his girlfriend and new car and all of that stuff. And in just blink of an eye, it all changed. Now, Shane is not Shane anymore. Shane is completely gone. This is a different person altogether. He cannot fend for himself, so we have to fend for him. Yeah, you have to cue him. What does that mean? Um, Show like, them how. Like tell you're them. just okay, Shane. This is the you know over and over you know Do that. toothbrush. This is, goes into your mouth, and even still to this day, he can't put the toothpaste toothpaste on the toothbrush. What have you got to say to yourself, Doug? Nothing. Go. John? This is Hannah. Hannah. Yeah. Hi. How are you, Shane? Peter. Need your man's voice. What are you doing? How much? Are you watching TV? Yep. Can you tell me about what you're watching? Sports. Do you like sports? Yep. Mm -hmm. What sports do you like best? Hockey. Mm -hmm. Do you have a favorite hockey team? Maple Leafs. Of course. Do you watch the Jays too? Yep. Yeah. Do you have a favorite player? No. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite thing about baseball when you watch? Fights. Really? <laughs> Do you ever play baseball yourself? No. Mm -hmm. um, and I met your dog. I like your dog a lot. She's nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Do you like to play with your dog? Do you ever take Lady out for a walk? Yeah. Well, it's very nice to meet you. Thank you for chatting with me. I meet you. This is so, so sad to hear his dad talk about what he was like before and then to hear you try and chat with him. Obviously, that's not possible. Like, it's not possible for him to talk to you. No. Uh, he said he was watching sports. He was watching the Food Network. Yeah, he is a different person. That is the, the simplest way that you can put it. Mm -hmm. Because he went fishing and his friends weren't white. Because another group of people decided to go nipper tipping and start a confrontation asking whether they had fishing licenses which, in case anybody cares, they did. Um, can you put in words what that incident did to your family? Mm hmm. Let me just give it a thought. Made a stronger, stronger union, that's for sure. With the rest, like the family's a lot stronger now than it was before. We're a close-knit family. Yeah. So it was... Uh... The kids really time. took it hard. They really got, and my grandkids too, because mm -hmm. they used to go, Shane used to go out there and take them to the movies and stuff. And, but now, you know, Uncle Shane is no longer Uncle Shane, so yeah. he can't do that anymore. And they couldn't understand why. Yeah. Why would someone do this to somebody? 
That was the big thing. Why did, why did this have to happen to Uncle Shane? Charles Hogan wonders the same thing. He was one of the friends in the car that night. From what happened to my friend Shane, it, it hurts. Like, uh, when everything first happened, I, I, you know, whenever my friends would go see him, I would go, but it's just too hard for me to see him. You know, I, I kind of blame myself in a way for happened. Why would you blame yourself? Because uh, it, the whole idea of what happened that day was, was on me, and I just kept, you know, pushing it to go and find uh, the spot that we were at. Because I, I used to fish out there, right, in mm-hmm. Lake Simcoe? Mm-hmm. Um, could you tell me how you were affected by that car accident? Uh well, when I was seeing uh, the psychologist guy, he told me that um, I guess it's mentally um, affected uh, due to because every time this is brought up, it really upsets me. To be honest, I I hate being I hate being near pickup trucks. I I hate it. And for instance. We, I was in, I was in a car, I would say six months ago maybe, and this guy in a great pickup truck just started yelling, and yelling, and he uh, cut me and my friend off on purpose, and so I told my friend I said go, 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 go right in front of him. I told him to stop. I got out and I whipped my water ball right out his windshield. I, it just, it, I feel that now. If I'm in a situation with someone that's being crazy, I need to protect myself by, like, standing up and not backing down or running away or I just don't want to be injured again. It just scares me. I just go into this panic mode and I don't don't like it. You say you blame yourself for what happened that night, but, you know, do you ever think about Trevor Middleton? Yeah. To be honest, uh, I, I would never want to cross paths with him. Why not? I'm afraid of what I would do to him. Do you ever think about that? Yeah. So, as Charles said, it's the psychological scars that affect him the most to this day. The driver of the car that night was Rohang Lu. He was the one person in the car who was East Asian. And I found his contact info. I called him a few times over the summer. He's very nice. I enjoyed my conversations with him. But he did not want to go on the record and do an interview. He does not want to revisit this at all. As he said to me, uh, go look at the court documents. It's all in there. So I have them. I have his victim impact statement. I'll read a little bit of it. Mm-hmm. I no longer feel safe in public. I have nightmares that no one could possibly understand. Every time I close my eyes, I see Shane's face split open, seeing him without a nose and unrecognizable. I will not go fishing ever again in Canada. I no longer trust anyone I meet. I feel like I can only trust people I have in the past. I will never drive a small car again. I will only drive SUVs and never drive in front of a pickup truck again. 
I don't feel motivated anymore to further my education. There is no point. Working hard for things just doesn't work when someone can take it all away over fish and race. I feel very sensitive to racism now. I am angry and aggressive towards people. I feel a lot of hate towards everyone I don't know. I could care less about you if I don't know you. That's from the courtroom proceedings in 2010, a full six years ago. Uh, when I chatted with him in the summer, that's not really the impression I got of him. Um, he's successful. He has a career. He obviously did continue with school at some point. So from a very superficial glance, you know, his life is back on track. He told me that he does think talk is cheap. He doesn't really believe in a podcast's ability to change anything. He says action speaks louder than words, and he volunteers with Chinese youth in Markham. Uh, he teaches them about sports because he feels like sports is a good way for young people to come together. And uh, he said that it's a good way for people to integrate into mainstream society. So that's what gives him a sense of purpose in terms of trying to uh, understand how to move forward from this. I don't know. Maybe there is no moving forward. Like Charles said, he can't go visit Shane, which in its own way must cause guilt inside of him. Yeah, Charles feels guilty. Roe felt guilty. Colin said that the night of the accident, Roe apologized to Colin, saying this never would have happened if I wasn't Chinese. Um, seems like there's a lot of blaming happening and a lot of guilt being taken on by people who did not instigate the event. And curiously, Trevor Middleton has not expressed remorse. He's the one person who hasn't. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I look at Shane, and every time he does something that he shouldn't do, like because of his mental state that he's in, I get angry at Middleton. This is Colin and Terry again. Because you can't get mad at him. He doesn't even know any better. Mm -hmm. But that's how I deal with it. I walk, go to the gym, go to work, get my, my stress at work. I get enough of that. Yeah. <laughs> I think of Trevor every day because when I look at Shane and when he, what he can't do, what he should be doing. Yeah, yeah. You, you constantly think of him every day. But overall, you have to look at the positives, the negatives, chew you up. Yeah, they'll eat you and up make you inside. into an angry person, and it's not good. When someone like me calls you up almost 10 years later, you know, what, why do you want to talk about it? It's good for us to talk about it. Then it's nice to keep it in. There. I mean, this should be something that should be talked about all the time. It should, it's the racial part of it, again, this should never have happened. Shane, he was, in a way, like victimized by association because he was there with his Asian friends. This is A.V. Go. She's a lawyer who represented the Chinese-Canadian community at Trevor Middleton's sentencing. So whether you call it hate crime or whether you call it racially motivated crime, it's the same thing under the criminal code. Avi's work emphasized that these racially motivated assaults are a hate crime, which would allow a judge to impose a harsher sentence for the criminal charges Trevor was facing. So it's an, a factor the judge needs to take into account in sentencing. Avi and her colleagues set up an anonymous hotline meant for Chinese language speaking victims of nipper tipping to call in and tell their stories. Those stories from victims were crucial, as it's how Avi compiled a community victim impact statement. 
And I actually read that impact statement at the sentencing of uh, Mr. Middleton as part of the sentencing process. The courtroom was packed for Trevor's sentencing. Brad Lee was there. We heard from him earlier. He was working with Avi by this point and was often there in court. I remember actually at one point um, riding up in the elevator not knowing who the people were I was in the elevator with and they had this tray of Tim Hortons coffee and it smelled really good. And so I asked them, where did they get it? And we had this co- just ordinary, hey, that's a nice coffee. Where'd you get that? Oh, it's just down the street. You, gotta, you know, it's not right at the courthouse. You got to drive down the road a little bit. We had this really pleasant exchange. We get out, we walk into the same courtroom, and later on I find out that the person I had the conversation with was Trevor Middleton's mother. No. Neither of us knew who we, each of us actually were. But that incident itself, it struck me. We have so many areas of commonality with each other that why are we getting into these, these situations where one side in a racially motivated attack hurt somebody else. It's just absolutely asinine, stupid. This is A.V. Go again. You know, after all the efforts that we put in, and the Crown prosecutor also was working very hard, making very strong arguments uh, for a much lengthier sentence. And notwithstanding all that, all we got was two years less a day. It was very disappointing. So that day that the sentencing came down, you were in the courtroom. Oh yeah, we never missed a day. This is Colin and Terry again. They said that eight to ten years was suitable for the crime. That was what the Crown was asking for, eight to ten years. So we were happy about that until the sentencing the next day. There was not a lot of happy people. No, not at all. Not at all. Rohan broke the railing and threw it through the window. It just... Uh, he was the driver of the car. Yeah. It's just our justice system is unbelievable. So with two years less a day, the court was making the statement that this is serious but not serious enough that we need to uh, incarcerate Trevor Middleton for, you know, in the uh, more serious level of the federal prison system. Part of the reasoning that the judge gave at the time was that he didn't want to create backlash against the Asian Canadian community. but. To me, that's just re-victimizing the victim because it's saying you're different under Canadian law. If you hadn't been Asian Canadian, I might have given a harsher sentence. What I really hope from the, the whole result of this is that even though Trevor Middleton has never apologized, to my knowledge, to um, the victims, to Shane Berwick and his family, to uh, Rohan Liu, uh, Shiv Kumar, Charles Hogan, or even to the community, you know, I hope that for, for our justice system to work, I hope he's come away from this, not even hating Asians more, but really thinking about what he did and why it was wrong. Well, that would be nice to know, but it certainly doesn't seem like Trevor wants to talk about that publicly. No, and I mean, when we were trying so hard to get him to speak to us, I started to think, what is it that I want to hear from him? You know, I was going into it very open-minded, like I just want to hear what he has to say. How does he explain his own actions to himself? That was what was really interesting to me at first. But then I started to feel like after the third, fourth, fifth time of trying to to make contact with him, you know, do I really just want to hear some remorse? And if that's what I'm going after, is it futile? Because if he can't 
do that in a courtroom, you know, why would he do that to the press? Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. Like, part of why I wanted to keep trying to contact him was just because it seems to me that he's avoiding it. And in my small way, I was able to say, like, this changed so many people's lives. You don't get to go forward with your life as if it never happened. But he does. I mean, as we saw, he has a child, he has a partner, he has a job. He can do what he likes. Um, For the most part, Shane obviously cannot. We can't say why Trevor doesn't want to say anything or how he feels, but it should be said that he is locked in an ongoing civil lawsuit with Shane's family with, according to Colin, no immediate end in sight. So I should probably wrap up our question mark on whether or not we were ever able to speak to Trevor Middleton. Uh, We never did because he did not respond to our requests, Um, but his mother did. I sent her a message and she called me back. She was angry. She told me to stop contacting her family. I said that it was not my intent to upset anyone. And I said if she didn't want to speak with me and Trevor didn't want to speak with me, did she know of anyone who might be interested in in giving me perspective? And she said, there's no use. Sutton is like a game of broken telephone. She said, everyone who knows and loves Trevor knows him and knows that this was not a racial thing. Don't call us anymore. So we started off this episode by trying to understand Sutton. What kind of a place is Sutton? What makes Sutton tick? And we learned a little bit about what it's like there. And then we tried to look more closely at what happened that night between Trevor Middleton and Shane Berwick's groups of friends. So I guess it just kind of brings me to this question of, you know, community versus the individual. How much responsibility does a community bear for an individual's actions? And I don't know what the answer is in terms of culpability, but moving forward, I mean, what can communities do to be aware of this kind of thing, to prevent it from ever happening again? I mean, I talked to Avigo a little bit about that because it wasn't just about sentencing for her. She and her colleagues worked with the Ontario Human Rights Commission on an inquiry into these racist attacks, and they drew up recommendations. What happened with the inquiry was that Um, The Human Rights Commission um, required a number of ministries as well as um, municipalities to report on what they were going to do, asking them to come up with a plan and asking them um, a year later to report on the implementation of that plan. And at the same time, our clinic, along with several other uh, communities, groups, uh, provided uh, a report card. And I think that also had an impact. So what do you think, Denise, of a report card of sorts for communities? I mean, does that, is that satisfying? Well, I guess it's only satisfying if people want to do something to get a better grade. The incident that left Shane Berwick a completely different person is just the worst of a series, right? Um, So I think a report card is useful in saying what the status of something is, but if we're not working to get a better mark, then it's ultimately 
not satisfying for me. Mm-hmm. It should be pointed out that this terrible incident between Shane Berwick and Trevor Middleton were two victims who sustained physical injuries. They were white, but there are dozens of accounts of Asian anglers who were assaulted. Many, many of the reports were anonymous at the time. People are afraid. People are afraid and humiliated. I mean, imagine being shoved in the water in front of your grandson. Like, that is a documented case, an elderly man and a 13-year-old fishing together. And Even if your kid wasn't there, you have to come home to them soaking wet without your gear and your phone, and you have to somehow explain what it is that just happened. You know, I wanted to talk to Chinese victims of this crime, but it proved difficult, and I don't blame any victims for not wanting to talk about this any further. I mean, even just on a teeny tiny level, Sutton was a place that up until we decided to go there, I could not go there for myself because I had read these stories and I thought, I don't want to take my children there. So these are, you know, far-reaching crimes that even if you had nothing to do with that geographical area or the any incident, I mean, it still can affect you. And we're talking about Shane Berwick and Charles Hogan, who were two white men who were the victims of a race-based crime targeting Asians. I mean, hate, it's just kind of, it has infected and affected many people here. It doesn't stop at any kind of racial classification. You know, it started with being angry with Asian people for encroachment and for stealing fish. You know, there's, a, there's graffiti under a bridge that said, nips are fish thieves. And it starts there with that kind of anger and hatred, but then look at what it ends up with. Something that completely seems illogical and encompasses entire communities, regardless of race. So we still want to talk about this stuff, even though other people may not want to. And next week on the very last episode of Color Code, we're going to hear from you. It's going to be all feedback from listeners throughout the series. There will be voice memos. There will be emails. There will be a couple of short interviews with listeners. Um, And thank you so much, everyone, for, for being so engaged and interested in the series the whole way along. Mm -hmm. But let's save our final thank yous for next week. Right. Yeah. Well, can I say thank you for listening? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) This week's episode was produced by us, Denise Balkasoon and Hannah Sung. Technical producer is Timothy Moore and senior producer is Kevin Sue. Thank you to our many interview subjects, including Shane Berwick, Colin and Terry Berwick, Charles Hogan, Sandy Raitt, Jerry Kuharchuk, Rohang Liu, Avi Go, Brad Lee, Sam Coates, Stephen Akel, Andre Gagnon, and all the people we spoke with as we explored Sutton. Thank you to Rogers Media for usage of the 2007 City News clip regarding racist attacks on fishers in Sutton. Also, we'd like to thank York Regional Police Inspector Ricky Verapan, and big thanks to the Globe's Research Department, Stephanie Chambers and Rick Cash, for all the research support. Thanks to our colleagues, Matt Frainer and Robin Doolittle, who first broke the nipper-tipping story when she was at the Toronto Star. If you enjoyed this episode of Color Code, rate and review it on iTunes, share it with a friend, and tell us what you think. Take your phone and record a voice memo, and then email it to us at colorcode at globamail.com. 
Our theme music is by Bonjay. You can find them at bonjay.net. Keep the conversation going. You can look us up on Twitter. I'm at Balkasoon. And I'm at Hannah Sung. Thanks so much for listening to Color Code. <laughs> <laughs>